Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast, and this is Bertine Crevacore West. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Crevacore West, and I'm delighted to be your host. Today I have with me a super special guest, a respected colleague and dear, dear friend, Ms. Alicia Butler-Pierre, the founder and CEO of Equilibria, Inc. Alicia, can you say hi to our listeners? Hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be here, Bertine. We, this, is, this is long overdue. So long overdue. I'm <laughs> loving that you're here. And tell us, where are you right now? I am in the metro Atlanta, Georgia area in the United States of America. Excellent, excellent. So I'm going to tell our listeners a bit about you. Okay. So everyone, Alicia Butler-Pierre, she is the founder and CEO of Equilibria Inc. She's a consultant, a speaker, an author, and a phenomenal podcaster. So her career began in operations over 20 years ago as a chemical engineer in several chemical plants and oil refineries in her native Louisiana. Her passion is in designing processes that help people, places, and things flow more efficiently. Alicia is the founder, as I said, and CEO of Equilibria Inc., a 15-year-old operations management firm specializing in business infrastructure for fast-growing companies. Her company is currently the world's largest and most comprehensive repository on business infrastructure for small businesses. It is at Equilibria where she invented, now tell me if I'm pronouncing this right, Casino Framework? Yes, that's actually really good. Yes. Thank you. I try, I try. So the Casino <laughs> Framework for Business Infrastructure and Software by the same name. She has since successfully applied this framework in over 30 different industries and counting. Alicia has a BS in Chemical Engineering from Louisiana State University and an MBA from Tulane University. Her ability to blend scientific, business, and mathematical methodologies to solve complex operational problems enables her to bring a unique tactical, and realistic perspective to our clients, who have also included larger enterprises like the Coca-Cola Company, Lowe's, and Shell Oil Company. Alicia is a certified Lean Six Sigma black belt and has produced over 350, that's right, everyone, 350 articles, podcast episodes, case studies, videos, and white papers in the areas of business infrastructure, process improvement, and operational excellence. Combined, her content has over three quarters of a million views across various online platforms. Alicia hosts the weekly Business Infrastructure Curing Back Office Blues podcast, which garnered over 300,000 impressions in only 14 months. 
She's also the author of the two-time Amazon bestseller, Behind the Facade, How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. Her book debuted in October 2018 on Amazon as the number one new release for business books in the production and operations category. Committed to doing the right things the right way, Alicia's mantra is to leave it better than you found it. Alicia, welcome again. You've been busy. Welcome (laughs) to the Global Fluency Podcast. Thank you, Bertine. I got tired just listening to hearing you say all of that. I'm loving it. Like, this is why I'm so exhausted. (laughs) This is why you're just like, I need some sleep. I could do with Exactly, exactly. Yes. You know, I'm delighted to share just the breadth and the body of work that you've created and built and shared with so many people, teams, organizations. I mean, it is literally breathtaking because as you can see, I'm starting to run out of breath. Yeah, I'm so, and (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast because I, I want, like the purpose of me having the Global Fluency Podcast is first to have a fellow podcaster on. And, you know, for our audience, um, they should know you helped inspire me to have this podcast evolve as it has. So I want to thank you for that so much. You really, truly have. And I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. But also, too, you've helped. I want this episode in particular to reach women who are in business that, that A, want to learn more about how to become more effective by implementing processes, right? Um, Because I love a process and I love that you are the process queen. And I'm going to share you on your... on your newsletter, sign yourself as the smooth operator. Truer <laughs> words have never been spoken because processes matter, everybody. It's important to have things in play. That's right. So let's just dive deep into the questions now. So I've, I've shared your, your backstory with everybody a bit, but tell us a little bit more about how Equilibria got started. Like what was that spark that made you want to create this company? Well, believe it or not, It was quite by accident, and I wish I could tell you that it was carefully thought out and planned out, but it wasn't, Bertine. It was, it actually originated as a professional organizing company, so you probably didn't know that part of the story, and the way that came about, I was living in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I just had this hunch, this intuitive feeling that I had to get out and get out very quickly, and without going into all of those details, By February of 2005, I found myself in Atlanta, Georgia, where I knew one person. I didn't come here for a job. I didn't go to school here. I just, in fact, I quit the job that I had working as an engineer back in New Orleans and just sold my house, gave up everything, literally. And I had a very comfortable life back in New Orleans Mm -hmm. to come to, to venture into the unknown. And When I first got to Atlanta, I was just mesmerized by all of the large Fortune 500 companies that had a presence here. Home Depot, the Coca-Cola company, Delta Airlines, UPS. And I thought, well, surely I'll get a job. That's, That's a piece of cake. And I realized that was, it was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. And after about 60, 60 days, so a good two months of what seemed to be endless job searching, I decided, you know what, for the same amount of time, effort, and energy that I'm putting into working for someone else, I could redirect that same time, effort, and energy into creating my own opportunity. And it just so happened, you know how the universe just has a way of kind of putting things into your path 
And, and when you start to notice the repetitiveness of it all, you, and you really kind of take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute, what, what's the message that I'm receiving here? And for me, that message was every single one of us is blessed with natural skills, talents, and abilities. Mm-hmm. And somehow over time, whether it's through periods of indoctrination, whether it's through the, the educational system that you may have gone through, somehow we are taught to get away from or remove ourselves as far away from what we might naturally be very good at. And so through a period of self-assessment and self-reflection, self-evaluation, I realized, you know what, Bertine, I've always been really good at organizing things. It's I attribute it to the success I had had in any of the jobs that I had had up to that point in my life. It wasn't because I was necessarily the smartest person in the room. I just happened to be really organized. Mm -hmm. And so I started searching online and who knew there was an organization called the National Association of Professional Organizers. And so I I am not kidding you. (laughs) Look them up. The the National Association of Professional Organizers. And it just opened me up to this world of of possibilities in being able to actually have a viable business just in organizing other people. And so that's actually how my company Equilibria started. It was back in 2005. And over time, Bertine, it has evolved into what it is now. So It shifted from, let's say, organizing people's home offices and closets and garages and basements to organizing their businesses. But we're no longer using the the terminology professional organizing. We now say business infrastructure. So that's kind of a a long way of of explaining how, how I got to even start this company. I love that. I had no idea. (laughs) <laughs> and, and this is, again, I think why you and I are kindred spirits, really and truly. There's so much that we have in common. And so that that intuition, that divine voice, that inner push to be someplace else that you've never, yes. that resonates deeply with me, um, because that's, that's a, a bit how I got here. Um, not completely, but a bit how I got here. But then to start, you know, your own company, to become an entrepreneur you know, particularly in the beginning, beginning, I still define myself as a solopreneur because, you know, a lot of times it's me and a couple of consultants, you know, and it's even that the extent to which things can evolve once we do remove that, that self-doubt, that indoctrination, as you said, right? Because some of it is internal and a lot of it can be external as well. Society tells us that we're supposed to be X, Y, and Z, right? Mm-hmm. And so because of that, will let go of some of our natural gifts. And so I'm grateful that you did not let go of yours because without that, there would be no equilibria. Right. And it's it's not an easy thing to do because you have to remember, I left behind a very lucrative, very comfortable mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. And quite a few people, people close, very close to me, family and, and friends, just looked at me like, are you, are you insane? Yep. Yep. You're going, you're going from being an engineer to an organizer. Are you kidding me? But I just, it, it's, there's something to be said for listening to your inner voice and doing what is going to be best for you. I was miserable working as an engineer. I'm just going to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And I knew there had to be something better. And, and I we, we'll probably get, 
we'll probably be able to touch on some of those things that were making me so miserable Mm -hmm. throughout our conversation. But this brought me joy. It brought me a level of satisfaction that I honestly just didn't get when I was working in corporate America. I completely understand that. It seems as if you found your your zen, your your happy place. And I mean, I dare say, um, and, and I, I challenge people, um, why can't those two things coexist, right? Why can't exactly. you your professional acumen and your zen and make it um, truly into something that otherwise, well, truly into something extraordinary? Because for me, extraordinary means that other people cannot conceive of it, Right. And so that is what you had that forethought, that intuition. And so I completely understand. Um, I was supposed to be a lawyer, but I even cool. changed that because supposed to be was what others had intended and indoctrinated me to be, right? Or to think I was supposed to be. And I realized now I'm I'm living in my best space, but that comes with its challenges, right? I'm um, yes. to be an entrepreneur and to leave things that you're good at, but you don't necessarily love that is where the difficulty can be. But mm-hmm. it's also the space that can be created to find that joy and, and create something brand new, right? As yes. you successfully, I might add. And so I want you to, because now we're going to talk a little bit about just diverse work styles, because I, I love how what you do exposes you to so many different types of people and teams. Yes. And, you know, um, when we go, um, when we conclude, I want you to, you know, share your social media with people. But I will say this, I'm looking at you, following you on Instagram, you show your process, you know, and, and how you help some teams. And I'm like, that is fantastic. And I could see the professional organizer in you doing that, <laughs> and like, but with business. And it's, Right. It's really just it's a it's a wonderful thing to see. It truly is. So I want you to tell us a bit about your experiences with diverse work styles and your work in helping different teams establish processes to help them become more successful. What does that look like? I consider myself so fortunate in so many ways when it comes to business in general, because because I've been exposed to so many different types of companies. I've worked with the solopreneur, the mom and pop operation. I've worked with what would be considered bigger, small businesses, medium-sized businesses on up to the very large corporations of the world. And there are certain common things that I see across any business, regardless of industry, regardless of size. And I'm able to take best practices, Bertine. So if I see something that I know when I worked on a project at Coca-Cola, for example, and it worked really well there, Hmm, is is that something that I can retrofit and apply here for this much smaller mom and pop pizzeria, just as an example? So I have a lot of fun doing that because no one project is ever the same. Even though the 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 methods and the approach and the techniques that we might use are always the same, there's always going to be some nuance because again, every company is different, every person is different, but When it comes to diverse work styles, I'll start with my career as an engineer. (laughs) So being in an engineering environment, I was a chemical engineer. So I was predominantly in oil refineries and chemical plants. There were no women around, very little. Most, you find yourself as an engineer surrounded by people who may not have finished high school. Really? There's an inner, yes, there's. There's a conflict there because they look at you like, well, 
oh, you have this fancy piece of paper referencing your degree. Right. You just have a fancy piece of paper and you make, so you get to make more money. Well, no, I worked really hard for this degree. Mm-hmm. And yes, it does mean something. And, you know, there will be those types of conversations. Mm-hmm. You also had to figure out how to interact with upper management. So as an engineer, you, <laughs> I think that was the, that laid the foundation for me, Bertine, in understanding different communication styles. Mm-hmm. And I, I started co- referring to my style as being a chameleon because I didn't recognize this. I didn't see this in myself at the time. I, it would always come up during performance evaluations when different managers would, at the end of the year, give me a performance evaluation. And they would always try to steer me toward the managerial track, but I always wanted to remain technical. And it took me a long time to understand why they would always try to steer me down the managerial track. And the reason was because of my ability to communicate with anyone effectively and get things done. I never spoke to those technicians who, again, some of them never even finished high school. I never spoke to them as though I was above them. Mm -hmm. I spoke to them in their language, if you know what I mean. I spoke to them in a way where they could relate to me. We could relate to each other. Mm -hmm. But then I could leave a a conversation with a technician and then go into a boardroom and be able to have a conversation with an upper upper management type executive and know how to how to be that chameleon and kind of blend in in multiple different types of environments. So once I started my own business, those communication skills that I developed as a young engineer helped me tremendously because something else that I've learned about people, Bertine, especially when it comes to process work, not everyone processes a process the same. Not everyone learns the same way. Some of us are more visual. I'm definitely one of those people. If you hand me a book that's pure black and white, no images, and just tell me, okay, go read this. And it's very, very technical, very detailed and just cumbersome to read. It's going to take me a really long time. And I'm going to have to highlight it. I'm going to draw my own pictures in there if you haven't provided pictures for me. Love it. And then there are some people, again, where they they need the pictures, they need the flow charts, mm-hmm. they need the different types of diagrams. I have a stick figure here. This one little tool, believe it or not, gets people so excited. And the way we use this tool is a laminated stick figure that I, I created that I use for my clients. And we just write people's titles on these stick figures. That's but brilliant. something as simple as this, because it's so visual, When we're in a room together and we're trying to figure out, okay, well, we know all of this work that has to be done. Who's supposed to be doing this? Mm. And we just place little stick figures above things. If I were to just write that out into a a document or capture all of that into a spreadsheet first, people would be lost. It just would not have the same type of effect. So when it comes to, again, that diversity in crafting these different processes, I always present multiple options. Some people need to see a video tutorial. Some people are good with just seeing a flowchart. Some people need to see an infographic. Some people are okay with seeing what we call a standard operating procedure where step one, do this, step two, do this. They don't need images. So you have to learn how to adapt to different people's learning styles. And then where the communication piece comes in is, okay, you've created these different formats for processes. Now you have to actually communicate it. 
And and that's that's where, again, you have to be that chameleon and understand the language. If if I may, I want to point this out too. Every industry has its own jargon. Mm -hmm. So we already have the, the complications that come with different languages in general, English, German, French, Swahili, so forth and so on. But then within specific industries, you you can have certain jargon. If I were to sit in on one of your meetings, Bertine, I'm sure I might be lost because there are certain things that you may say, certain acronyms that you may use that you take for granted because it's just the vernacular of your industry. But a person like me, an outsider looking in, I might be completely lost and confused. And so I have to also take those types of things into consideration too, whenever I'm working with my different clients. Wow. I love that. All of it. You dropped so many gems that I just want to touch upon for a second. And and thank you for sharing just that that really wonderful breakdown, um, because I feel like that's something that, that can be visualized, right? I felt like you were telling us the story. Right. And, and I love seeing that uh, because I could picture you doing all those things. And I want to touch upon what you were mentioning in the beginning, being that there was um, there were some gaps there. Right. There was a skills gap. There was an education gap and there was a gender gap that you would yes. have to contend with. Right. So having to maneuver, you know, those those gaps and, and having to, you know, make those necessary connections in order to get the job done. I could easily see why they would want you on the management track, right? But Mm. your joy at the time, right, was being where you were, right, on the technical side, right? Exactly. Too, I think part of that is representation. Um, Women are not seen on the technical ends very often, right? And though we know that we can be there, right? Well, I'm not going to say we. I'm going to say you (laughs) because. I don't know that I could be an engineer because again, no, don't say that. I I won't I won't completely say it, but I know my happy place. Right? <laughs> so I won't say that. I know my happy place, and and that wouldn't have been me. But I love that you are there. I love I love seeing women in technology and science. It's really important to have representation of of, of our gender in these spaces. So I can Absolutely. only what you had to contend with you know, just to be there, but that you were able to close those gaps by, by again, having an effective communication style. I think as somebody that, that trains soft skills, that's the one thing I always start out with first, because in order to resolve conflict, um, usually conflict, I think is brought about by a skills gap or a, a knowledge gap. And so communication is a skill. And we, just because we can speak or sign or what have you, or write, um, or read doesn't mean that we can enunciate um, our mental thoughts effectively because it's it's a two-part series, right? It's a two-part endeavor, I should say. One, the speaker and the words that the speaker is choosing to use at that time. So like you said, with regards to acronyms and things like that, but then the recipient of that message, because I may deliver a message in a certain way, someone may receive it differently than my intent was, right? So that's tricky to navigate. And then I love that you were talking about different learning styles. So you you tackle the gaps, you tackle the communication, but now how do you get everyone in the room to learn the way that you're trying to learn what you're trying to teach them in a way that's going to be effective for them and, and help them be more productive within their process of learning the process, right? 
And so what I loved is that you mentioned different learning styles. So I did get excited when I saw you lift up the CEO because <laughs> I am a visual learner. Um, so I was like, oh, okay. They're, they're, you know, they're props. This is fantastic. Yes. <laughs> that gets my attention, right? That helps, that helps me to remember things. But, you know, there are visual learners, there are audio learners, um, there are tactile learners, and there are kinesthetic learners, right? So we know for visual that it's it's about seeing. For audio, it's about hearing. For tactile, it's about touching and feeling something, which is why I think having that prop, you know, as simple as it is, it's brilliant, right? Uh, because it helps communicate the message effectively. And then kinesthetic learners, um, some people need to get up, move around so they can process that way, right? And I just, I love that these are things you take into consideration because these are not the things, I dare say, that people think of when they're thinking about training others and showing others how to do something. These are the things that specialists such as yourself have to keep in mind, right? It's like if we're seeing an actor on stage, we are the audience looking at the actor act, but we don't see the the rehearsals. We don't see the dress rehearsals, the lines practice, the hours of time behind the scenes, right? Similar to podcasting, since we're both podcasts, yes. right? We yes. don't see production in. We don't see all the things it takes to bring that, that experience to a group of people in a way that resonates with them effectively, right? So that's what I loved um, about you talking about the different learning styles and, and working with different teams because it, it takes, as you said, a level of understanding to retrofit something you did for one company and, and make it applicable to another. Mm-hmm. Right. The knowledge is the same, but the delivery is it has to be so different. And that is, I think that's for me, looking from the outside in, I would say that's your happy place because you're creative and you're coming up with this as you go, right? Based upon a certain set of processes that you already had, right? Well Don't said. Don't get me excited about processes. Well said, Bertine. We need to collab, we need to work out a commissions uh <laughs> Everyone, processes. Okay, <laughs> but thank you, thank you. And now let's let's talk about with regard to cultural competence, diversity, and inclusion. Right? Um, what clear goals has this helped you establish in your work? Your your feelings on um, inclusion, and I think we might have answered that to an extent a little bit. Uh, but but I want you to elaborate upon that. What clear goals have you set in your work in order to create? the the most inclusive environment that you can? That's an interesting question because when I am adding people to my team, I truly try to embody what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about, judge, judge me by the content of my character and not by the color of my skin. Well, for me, it's not only the content of, of your character, but can you do the work? And I've been fortunate, Bertine, that I work with all kinds of people, people in other countries. I work with men and women. I work with people who, you know, their sexual orientations, uh, of different sexual orientations, just a, a, a large swath of different types of people. And it's not, I wish I could tell you that that was intentional, but honestly, I can't say that it's it's me saying, yes, I want to have a certain percentage of women on my team. I want to have a certain percentage of men on the team. I want to have a certain percentage of people outside of the U.S. working with me. I haven't honestly been intentional in that regard. It's really more so a focus of truly being open to 
seeing who can do this work for me and who is going to be a cultural fit a comp- from a company perspective. And I've maybe I just got lucky that that it is as diverse as it is. When it comes to my podcast, I will say this. That is where I, I am more much more intentional mm-hmm. with inclusion and diversity. Because here's what I found, and I, I, I'd be curious to know if you've discovered the same thing. Because I have a business podcast, I find it a lot more challenging to have women on my show. When there's an whenever we put it out there on social media that we have an, you know, an open casting for the next season's guests, men sign up right away. No questions asked. I find that with women, I have to get on the phone with them and we have to have conversations about what the podcast is going to be. There's a lot more massaging and I hate to say it this way, but handholding that sometimes takes place that doesn't necessarily take place with men. And someone pointed out to me, you know, Alicia, it's because so many of us women, even though we are very successful at what we do, there's still that lack of confidence. I was that right. So that many <laughs> that so many of us don't have. And that's just so interesting to me because Bertine. I, there are some women that I know, I see them on social media. I see the types of things that they post. It's very valuable content. I've seen them give presentations. I've seen them give speeches. They exude confidence, but mm-hmm. ask them to come onto a podcast and they clam up. It's, it's the strangest thing. I mean, clients will agree with you a lot on that. <laughs> um, and you know what? I can, I can even use myself as an example of, of somebody that at one point wouldn't readily go to a podcast, right? So as you were saying that, I was thinking about it and processing, no pun intended, <laughs> in my mind, um, you know, and, and I think there are three reasons for this. I think there's a confidence gap, there's a branding issue, and then there's mm. the fear of imposter syndrome, right? And so ah. the confidence gap, that is honestly... Um, I, I can't even explain it without just, I hate explaining a word with a word, right? But I feel like there is, on social media in particular, you'll see just people who are able, particularly men, able to say with clarity what they are doing, you know, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, because they instinctively, and this can be indoctrination as well from the time that they're they're young, right? Um, they're instinctively brought up by women and men, I might add, right? To believe that they can period, right? That the door is open. Now, it doesn't mean the door is open for everyone equally, right? You can have a a room full of 100 men, but they don't have the same opportunities. But the belief that the door is open exists more with them than I think a group of women. Because even as young girls, um, we are made to, we are, we are made to be quiet at an earlier age and to equate quietness with being good, quietness being worthy, Right. So I say to young girls out there, yell at the top of your lungs, whatever your <laughs> message is. Right. Because every time someone does that, I remember getting in trouble in as young as a second grade in school because the teacher said I talked too much. And then I grew up to be an interpreter. Mind you, I was extremely shy, but I loved relationships and friendships. Right. And I always got caught answering. <laughs> so I was, like, I was only answering. But Imagine if I had listened to some of those teachers who are very harsh with their, with their, let's say, critique, for lack of a better word. Yes. Right? Um, imagine that. Then I would have never become an interpreter, a podcaster, a public speaker, an author. None of that stuff would have existed, you know, much less um, running 
you know, um, what I do now, you know, as my business. And so, you know, I think it's a confidence gap because we're not, we're not brought up to think, and this goes across cultures. It's it's not limited to yes. one culture, race, group of people, anything, um, but with particular regard to women. Then branding. I also realized at a certain point, I need to vet who I'm going to be speaking to because we're judged harsher um, than men tend to be, right? And, and that's by men and women alike. So I need to make sure that I'm going on um, a podcast that is going to represent me well. And that can be challenging because sometimes you just don't know. It's like a job interview, right? You need to interview the person. So I can I can speak from the side of the podcaster, but I can also speak from the side of the podcast guest in that regard. And then mm-hmm. imposter syndrome, speaking on the side of the podcast guest. Like I remember when you asked me to be on your podcast, I was so excited, but then I freaked out because I was like, wait a minute, the queen of process, is asking me to get on the <laughs> podcast and talk about processing. What am I going to tell her that she doesn't already know? You know, and then to talk about my process for my podcast, I was like, nope, I'm going to do it because she's my friend and she asked me to do it. I have no idea what I'm going to say that's going to invite, empower, or educate her. Right. And so, but it turned out to be, you know, one of the best experiences that I had. And then it let me know that. I did have a process that yes. might work for someone else, you know, yes. so you empowered me to, to believe that I could, right. Cause I thought that I could and knew that I could for other aspects of my life, right. Other aspects of my business, but I never even thought about that for my podcast. I just thought I liked it, but then I was like, I do have a process because when I skip a step, it doesn't work. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so, you know, you helped me really realize that. So I would say, that's probably the reason. And I do agree with you. Um, when I am looking for podcast guests, invariably tends to be men over and over and over again, a majority of them, right? Um, and then I think to myself, what am I doing that's not resonating with other women? But then I realize I have to go and ask them. And then when I ask them, that's when, you know, and I just, because I remember just thinking, what am I going to talk about on Alicia's podcast? <laughs> you know, and I'm so glad that I had that experience because it pushes us to grow and to stretch. So I would say it's harder to get women on these shows, right? Um, but mm-hmm. it's worth it because now, you know, and I'll use myself as an example because I was on your podcast. Now, when people, and it's been a little bit um, since I've been on, and now when people ask me to go on their podcast, I'm like, sure, what do you need me to talk about? These are my specialties. Right. And I was like, who's doing that? <laughs> With you confidence know? and clarity. I love, Absolutely. It. Absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in person and online live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. 
So then I want to ask you while we're talking about podcasting with regard to being a female podcaster, right? Are you perceived in any particular way? Are there preconceived notions made about you by others? And if so, what are those? I don't think we have enough time for two to cover all of them. Sorry, you can start with me about women in the podcasting space. Yes, my mind. So share that with our listeners right now, if you would. So there, the the latest statistics that I've read, there are over a million podcasts. Now, granted, maybe about half of those, about half a million. uh, Excuse me, about five hundred thousand. So about 500,000 of those podcasts are what are considered to be active podcasts, meaning like shows like ours, where we're constantly putting out newer content. Of the business podcasts that are out there, 80% of them are hosted by white men. 80%. 80%. Okay. So that means there's another 20% in the pie chart that includes everybody else. Right, right. There could be black men and black male hosts in there. There could be uh, Asian male hosts. There could be, you know, women, different, different types of women of color, uh, white women, but that's, that's 20% left for everybody else. So one of the things I had to understand is I had to put myself into the shoes, Bertine, of a potential person seeking a podcast like mine. Mm -hmm. So I remember one day I just grabbed my phone and I went to my podcasting app. I have an iPhone and I just started to do a search for different types of business topics that I'm interested in. And I, I think what happens a lot of times is as people are scrolling through the different covers, because all you have to go by when you're searching for a podcast that you've never listen to before, you're just searching for it based on the type of content you're looking for. All you have to go by is that image, that podcast cover image and the title. So what happens when they see your picture, my picture? Do they just automatically discount it? Because woman and business don't tend to go together. Black woman and business definitely don't tend to go together. So, okay, I see this white male's face on this particular podcast cover. That's who I'm that's what I'm going to listen to. I don't know if that's a fact, mm-hmm. but I would guess my educated guess is that it definitely plays a factor. And the reason I say that, Bertine, is because I know your listeners and I'm, I know you for sure have definitely heard of the the infamous baby doll test. Yes. where children, little girls are given a black baby doll and a white baby doll, and they're asked a series of questions. You know, which doll do you think is prettier? Which which doll do you think is smarter? And it's because of years of social conditioning, even at a very young age, mm-hmm. that we've already been conditioned to believe and associate certain types of behaviors, certain types of careers in our case, certain types of podcasts, with a certain type of person. Right. And right. it's it's very unfortunate because it's already difficult to to do this type of work and you have to push through that barrier. You have to work even harder to push through that barrier. And I must I must be honest with you and your your listeners, I've considered experimenting with just taking my image off of the podcast cover altogether and seeing what happens. I've got to tell you, again, many jewels that you just dropped there. I love what you said about fact versus factor, right? Because I think that's a fantastic distinction, right? I can't 
prove per se that this might be true, but I know it's something that is a consideration in a final decision, right? That's just reality, right? right. I have to tell you, when I first um, decided to really just throw myself into this, especially um, with, with the books that I've written, uh, I was told when I was having my, um, my website um, done, by a consultant who's also a friend of mine. She is a Black woman in business. And she said to me, you should keep your face off of the website. And I thought, but my name is in the company. I've worked so hard for this. And, and I always think it's important for people to know who they're getting because I've shown up many a time to give a training, to give a presentation, to, to give a speech. And people have been surprised to see the skin that I'm in, the way that I look, the, the way my hair is. I mean, and that changes constantly, <laughs> but the way that, that I present myself or the way I am presented in, in the package that I'm in, they are always surprised that I'm a Black woman. Um, they are always surprised uh, at everything that society has told them does not right. fit what is on the EPK, the, the press kit that they've been sent, right? Right. And so, you know, she was saying this, I understand um from a from a strategic point of view, right, a perspective that was meant for my benefit, but it also made me really sad because I was like, but this is me, right? And so at one point, it was like towards the back end because one of my books has my face on it, right? So you mm. can't buy that book and not see who wrote it, right? <laughs> and then I, I was speaking to another person a sales strategist. And she said to me, Bertine, you need to show up as your authentic self because you're, you know, it's not the company that people subscribe to, right? It's you, right? And I say that to you as well. So I'm glad your face is still on there because it's you, right? The company is a vehicle by which you help educate, empower, and inspire others, but it is you and your secret sauce that they're going after. And so what did I do? I changed um, my very corporate looking photo to, you know, the big blonde and black hair, lipstick wearing, purple, pink, whatever, you know, um, <laughs> just, I love colors. And I realized in my closet that half of my wardrobe, the, the dark half, right, the, the, the browns and the grays and the blues, those are my corporate clothes that I wear every once in a while, you know, if you're speaking to a corporate audience. But for the most part, everything else looked like a rainbow had exploded. And that was my training <laughs> self, right? And I was just like, well, if this is what people respond to and uh, what they resonate to and, and authentically who I am, and that's how I need to show up, right? And, and I'm glad that's I made right. that decision because that was a hard decision to make. But think of what you said, right? Just being yourself in the spaces that you inhabit, in the spaces, quite frankly, that you dominate, that was a challenge. So I can only imagine somebody that wasn't empowered with the knowledge that you have, with the know-how, or with the opportunity that you paved for yourself, right? Like that to me is mind-blowing. What does that person have to deal with? And, and that's when I think active allyship comes in because um, like you and I were talking about in the Green Room Off Air, right? People that, that we've encountered in our podcasting experiences, um, most of them have predominantly been white men, right? In, in various countries, um, throughout the world. And so that they are information sharers that, you know, that active allyship to me, right? Right. That empowers us to share information with one another. So yeah. although I, I completely agree with you, I am also hopeful, as I know you are as well, that these things, these, these experiences 
when we do have active allyship in play, that this will only make the podcast world, right, more diverse, more inclusive in time. And, and that's the problem. Like, I'm not a patient person by nature. So I can, <laughs> I can only imagine, like, how long do we have to wait to be in this space, but not long, right? Because we're already in it. And so representation for the next one young woman who wants to be a podcaster, you know, the next Black young woman in particular who wants to be a podcaster, the next, you know, um, Latinx woman who wants to be a podcaster, the next trans woman who wants to be a podcaster, uh, they will be in this space, sharing this space with us and also serving as representatives. So right. active allyship, people, it matters so much. That's right. That's right. It really I, information I think sharing. If, if I may just, just point this out as well, I think too, once people realize the work that goes into podcasting, because it really is, you've created another type of business. Yes. And so that that too, I think, can deter a lot of women mm-hmm. and, and maybe others as well, Bertine. So I just thought I'd, I'd mention that. Um, no, I'm glad you did. Um, I, I need a t-shirt that literally says, podcasting is hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I want to wear it all the time um, because I thought, oh, this would be nice to do. And when I got into the podcasting world, I truly had no idea. And and I just thought, okay, it, I had to learn to produce um, my own podcast. It took me eight months. So the very first episode um, of the Global Fluency podcast sounds really different from, you know, season two where we are and we're about to launch season three. Um, so it's, you know, I myself, I'm just like, wow, because now once I've learned that, I'm able to, you know, say to a team now, can you produce this for me? Because now I'm busy creating content. Exactly. And now I can tell them, this is what I'd like for this to sound like. And I want this to be done. And then it's, it's this wonderful learning process, but it takes time away from running your business, taking care of your family, having time for self-care, quality time for yourself, you know, and you know, that thing that I love cooking so I can eat. So there's always that. And so, you know, I, I'm glad that you said that because it's so necessary for people to know this may, this is the fun part, right? But there was prep behind this, right? There was, you know, what questions are we going to ask? What, what are we going to talk about? How are we going to, you know, steer the conversation? You know, what are you up to now? You know, what can we highlight? Like, there's so much that goes into this, you know, and, and, these, and for me, this is me having a conversation with my friend but who's also, you know, a businesswoman. So it's, you know, a businesswoman to another businesswoman, to entrepreneurs having conversations, to podcasters, right? So it's very layered, which is fantastic. But I'm lucky enough to have established a rapport with you already, right? That makes it easier. But then there's a behind the scenes, you know? What about that uh, lawnmower that's going off in the background? <laughs> Can't do anything about it. These are the pandemic times in which we're we're living and through which we're evolving, right? So there's a lot to consider. But on that note, so we're going to close out right now. But I want you to tell me what are two things that you'd like to impart upon our listeners? Two things that you want them to take away from this episode. So one is I, I thought about this and there, there's obviously so much to say. But one of the things that has served me well, Bertine, in working with so many different types of people in so many different types of environments is humor. Mm -hmm. I'm naturally a funny person. And I find that humor is so effective in breaking down barriers, preconceived notions, getting people who wouldn't otherwise talk to each other to be able to talk to each other. Just as a really quick example, 
you know, I may refer to myself as the chocolate bunny rabbit if I'm in a room full of white people. <laughs> and I'm like, who doesn't love chocolate, right? And they're like, yeah, right. you're right. Everybody loves. Ch- okay, well, in- instead of considering me as a black woman, think of me as the chocolate bunny rabbit in the room. Oh my gosh. Unless people's, everybody's guard comes down and they realize I know what I'm talking about. I am good at what I'm doing. I, I'm not just an affirmative action hire. Right. I'm here because I belong. So let's just, now that we've gotten all of that preconceived stuff out of the way, let's focus on the work at hand. The second thing that I want to share is something that I I say every time I do an interview, and that is always remember the three R's. You know how when we were growing up, you were always taught about reading, writing, and arithmetic? Yeah. (laughs) So everybody listening, always or watching, keep in mind the three R's, reading, read something Every day, every day. And I'm not talking about, you know, headlines and on, on, on a Twitter feed. Read an actual newspaper article, a magazine article, a chapter in a book. Read something. Writing. Write something. If you're posting on social media, if you write a blog post, if you write an article that you're submitting to a magazine, another online web uh, publication, write something. Whatever it is that you are good at, through the process of just reading and writing every day, you're going to become that much better at your craft. Trust me. And the last one is the arithmetic. Measure something every day, whether it's your bank account, whether it's the number of phone calls that you set out to make in a day versus how many you actually were able to complete. Find something that you can measure because that's what's going to help you get to whatever goal it is you're trying to attain. So more (laughs) gems for you all out there. So essentially what I'm hearing you say is do a SWOT analysis on yourself, right? Every day. Yes. That's a good way of, yes. I'm all about the SWOT analysis. So again, a t-shirt that says just that, but, (laughs) but I love that you said that reading, because I remember you said that before, um, just through our interactions and conversations. And I was like, yes, you need to read something every single day. We're so busy working that we forget to pour into ourselves. So we can continue to pour into others. And then when you're talking about the arithmetic, the measurement part, well, I'll go back to the writing part. When you're talking about the writing, that is um, to me, once you've you've poured into yourself, pouring out into the world again, right? So knowledge gets more knowledge, right? That's right. The arithmetic, the measurement, that to me means accountability to oneself and to others, right? Uh, because there, one um, a particular visionary that, that I love to quote is uh, Dr. Cheryl Wood. And she had said, there's no uh, transformation without a transaction, right? Mm-hmm. And so that can be financial. Make sure your bank account is in order. That can be, you know, the services that you're delivering to someone. You need to hold yourself accountable. So it's like if we say this podcast episode is going to air on such and such a date. That has to happen, right? right. It's accountability right. internally for me and, and my external accountability to you and to our listeners, right? And to our viewers now. So I I thank you so much, Alicia. No, thank you. This was day. fun. This was um, a lot of fun and so much more to say, but... I know. <laughs> you have to come back because there's so much more for us. I'd to love about. to. I would I'm love so to. Glad. So before we, we sign off, Tell our listeners and our viewers, where can they find you on social media? What are your social media handles? Okay, my favorite place to hang out is LinkedIn and Twitter. So on LinkedIn, you can find me at Alicia Butler Pierre. My first name is spelled A-L-I-C-I-A and then Butler 
Pierre is spelled P like Paul, I-E-R-R-E. And then Twitter, my handles for Twitter and Instagram are actually the same. That's Alicia underscore B like boy underscore Pierre. And I'm also on Facebook as well. I'm not a big fan of Facebook, but I am on there. So just know that you can search for me and find me there as well. And also tell everyone where they can find your book. And I want you to tell them about your new software as well, because I think that's- Oh, wow. Yes, yes. Okay. So the, the book can be found on Amazon. It is called Behind the Facade, How to Structure Company Operations for Sustainable Success. So maybe the, the quickest way to get to it is through the web, the book's website, which is behindthefacadebook.com. The software, we are launching a software around business infrastructure. So these cute little stick figures and some of these other visual aids that's actually going to all become digitized now in a software. So we have recently launched a, an MVP, minimum viable product version of it. And we're just going to continue to roll out different features Hopefully, we'll have a, a pretty robust working product before the end of 2020. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So there's so much for everyone to look forward to from you. I'm so excited about this. And thank you once again so much for being on the Global Fluency Podcast. I'm so glad. Thank you, Bertine. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So everyone, remember, this is your podcast. So let us know what you thought about this episode. If you loved it just as much as I do, <laughs> let us know You know what episodes you'd like to see and what topics you'd like for us to talk about on the Global Fluency Podcast. And again, remember, let's keep the conversation going. My name is Bertine Krebacore-West, and I've been your host for the Global Fluency Podcast. I will catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences. Leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.